with your host, Hal Shirtliff. The show is heard on WBCQ The Planet every Monday and Thursday evening at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It is also uh, available on our Podomatic page, just podomatic.com, and put in in the search engine Camp Constitution Radio, and you'll be able to uh, get not this, not just this show, but uh, many of our other shows that we archive over the last several years. And also on our YouTube channel, Camp Constitution, and uh, go to our YouTube channel, and you can also uh, subscribe and share our videos. We've got over oh, close to a 1,000 videos, a lot of our videos from past uh, camps and activities throughout the year. And it's brought to you by Camp Constitution, which, among other things, runs a week-long family camp. And we just secured a venue for uh, 2020 that will be at the Singing Hills Christian Camp in beautiful Plainfield, New Hampshire. It will run from July 19th to the 24th. Uh, and uh, anyway, this, if you're interested, uh, mark the dates and give us a call. We're not accepting applications right now, but we should very soon. Anyway, we have a guest on the line. And before I uh, write her on, I just want to mention that um, there's been some a couple of great movies that have been that come out in the last year or so dealing with the abortion issue. Uh, first, it was the Gosnell movie, and I interviewed uh, Janine Turner, one of the ladies who starred in that show. She had a small role, but she was, uh, you know, had a good, well-known actor, actress. And we had also a, another person that was a writer making commentary on the movie. And we've showed it in some venues. And then the unplanned movie. And these are just two great movies that I recommend people purchase the DVDs, have group showings, private showings in your home. This is a way to, I would say, to counterpunch the cultural Marxists, which uh, want to destroy our family. And they're using the abortion issue, uh, of course, uh, to help do that. Well, my guest here is Julie Wilkinson, and if uh, she actually had a role in the movie Unplanned. Julie, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks, Hal. Tell us uh, uh, the millions and millions of viewers all over the world. I might be exaggerating a little bit. Uh, well, how many viewers we have or listeners? <laughs> a little bit about your background and how you got involved with the unplanned. And I want to thank your agent for giving giving you the ha- allowing us the time to interview you. Oh yes, my agent. <laughs> um, do you want to go back as to when I got in? To that unfortunate business, or how I got on? Yes, what, what, how, whatever you want. It's your, yeah, your time. Okay. Here. Well, when I was a young woman uh, in the mid '80s, I, I had made a move across the country and uh, was looking for a job. You know, it's in the uh, Colorado, and I was unfamiliar with the area. I didn't really want to do a night shift in downtown Denver. Saw an ad for a quote family planning clinic in Boulder. And I thought, oh, I'll check that out. And when I got in there and interviewed, then I found out it was an abortion clinic. And uh, having, unfortunately, been raised in a pretty liberal household about things like that, I thought, well, you know, it's not my first choice, but I can, I can handle this. And uh, so anyway, I ended up working there for over two years. And little did I know how uh, infamous that doctor actually was. He was one of the few at that time that would do late-term abortions. In the mid-80s, the latest people would generally go is 24 to 26 weeks. Now, we all have heard the stories about how uh, some doctors are going later than that. Um, but that's, and, and of course, 
that was horrible enough going to a 24, 26 weeks. It was a three-day procedure. Anyway, so I was a part of that. Um, I still somewhere in my brain thought that I was helping people. But um, when I did leave the clinic on my own volition, interestingly, the next job God led me to was a level three intensive care nursery for babies. So mm. that I, when people think God doesn't have a sense of humor, um, and uh, of course I loved that work, and my heart turned. I was uh, occasionally tuning in Dr. Dobson's show out of Colorado Springs, and yeah, I was resentful initially, but um, time went by, and uh, the drip, drip, drip on my heart, it, it did change me. Um, my husband and I ended up having our first child a couple years later, and quite frankly, abortion just became unthinkable for me. But I was very ashamed of what I had done. In fact, even when I worked in the clinic, I would lie about where I was working. So mm. I knew it wasn't right. I would tell people I was working in a, in a GYN clinic, and, uh, which wasn't totally a lie, but I wasn't saying what I was really doing. And um, so I didn't tell people. My husband knew. But I, I didn't share that because I was very ashamed of it, and I kept it a secret for quite a number of years. And uh, then finally, I was gradually I would search on the internet for somebody, anybody who who had um, anything, any sort of support group for former workers, because there just wasn't any. There were a lot of groups at that time for people who had had abortions, but not for people who had committed them. And well, there's one, there's one group, um, there was one group that uh, was called Women Exploited by Abortions. WEBA, I think it was called. Oh, really? See, I never found yeah. that one. I used to search yeah. periodically on the Internet thinking there must be something out there. And I actually found something that um, I think was related to Chuck Colson's stuff. But it was, it was like, uh, what was it called? Uh, and it seemed to be geared towards physicians. But mm -hmm. um, long story short, I didn't find anything until I happened to be posting anonymously on some board. It was some pro-life board. And one of the people said, you really need to probably talk to this lady. And somehow he got me in touch with uh, Abby Johnson. And so I visited on the phone with him, uh, just basically wanting to share the story. I wasn't, um, you know, it was, it, I had lived with it for so long. It wasn't a matter of my needing some kind of acute therapy or something. But it was great when they said they had decided to hold a retreat for former workers. And um, so I attended their first one. And, and when um, was that? So that was, when, when was, was that? It was in May of, May of 2013. And um, they held it down in Texas at a retreat center, and there were only five of us. Mm -hmm. And then they've gone on to have many, many more retreats because as the uh, – as the uh, they, they call the group, and then there were none. And um, – and, and it's, a, it's a way to try to uh, support and empower abortion workers to get them out of the business, to give them emotional support, and they are able to give them some financial support and assistance with rewriting resumes and doing things so they can get a job that has nothing to do with abortion. So it's, it's really been a great thing. I've made lifelong friends out of that group because, truthfully, nobody who has never worked in that business you know, understand, and I'm thankful for their sake they don't. So, now, um, so that's how, no, anyway, I'm, I'm sorry, then I skipped, I skipped through that part, and then what happened was, when Unplanned, which is Abby's book, that's book that book was published a number of years ago, and we had heard, I'd heard through our little um, 
we have a we have a part, closed group on on Facebook, and we they talked about how she was going to get a movie made, and we were all happy that the word would get out. And then it came to be filmed at Oklahoma, where I live, because Oklahoma offer, offers tax incentives to movie makers. So it was filmed here, and um, I knew it was going on, but you know I, I was not a part of it in any way. And uh, then I got a call from somebody and said, how would you like to play the, nur- the role of the nurse? And I said, sure. I said, I'll do it. I said, I won't mm. take any money for it, but I'll be glad to help if I can. And it was uh, two hours away in Stillwater, Oklahoma. They'd recreated the entire inside of the clinic in this warehouse. They'd kept it kind of quiet because they were afraid of uh, pro-abortion activists. And uh, we spent an entire day filming the one scene I'm in. It's a, it's a short scene. For anyone who's seen the movie, it's the one where Abby's asked to go in and help hold an ultrasound. And that's the first time she actually witnessed uh, an abortion happening because she had been an administrative type of person. And she was horrified, and, and uh, she never went back to the clinic after that. So that's the part I'm in. Not a long part, but interestingly, it took all day to shoot. Well, that tends to be uh, tends to be the way. Just a, a short, maybe what fifteen, twenty minute scene, maybe a little longer than that. Um, I know of a movie, the, that movie Forrest Gump, and uh, the film where they where he runs to the lighthouse in Maine. I know where that light. I've been to that lighthouse, and they said they spent two or three days there just to do that one little okay. scene. Uh, but oh. I think our scene was very powerful because it showed. Maybe you can explain that procedure, but you know we show it showed the little. Uh, the baby, the ultrasound picture, and um, and and then the the tube went in, and it looked like the little baby was basically fighting for dear life, and then that it sucks it out, and just you know, then you see all the blood going through the tube. Can you explain yeah. what that procedure is called? Well, that's that is a, an uh, an earlier type of abortion, not a not a late term. It's it ha- generally speaking, when I was working at the clinic, they couldn't do anything like that. Um, exactly like that, up, up anywhere past uh, about 12 weeks, maybe a little bit less. And um, they would do a two-day procedure. What he did, he would he would put in um, something called laminaria, which di- dilates the woman's cervix enough to where he can get that tube in. And when I was working in it, they weren't ultrasounding while they were doing it. And some doctors to this day may not. Um, this doctor preferred it that way. And um, he liked to be able to see. Uh, I guess it helped him figure out that he'd gotten the job done. The rest of the guys do it, and it's kind of by feel, I guess. They're feeling what the instrument's doing. But and in any case, um, yes, it uh, makes it a very vivid. The actual ultrasound they used, by the way, was not a copy of an ultrasound of an actual child dying. But what they did was they used an actual ultrasound of one of the, I think it was one of the directors in utero child. It was just a normal ultrasound that had been done. And then they did um, whatever sort of uh, media, um, the guys who can do that kind of stuff, I don't even know what right. word I'm looking for. They altered it to, to, to make it appear. So they did, not, they did not in any way, shape, or form want to, um, want to be disrespectful of a living person who actually died that way. Um, right, so, so it was a, it was a simulation then. Or, right, they simulated it. it, it, it you're actually seeing part of an ultrasound of a real baby, but the, the part where the doctor starts to suction out the baby is simulated. And, of course, babies are little at that time, extremely fragile, and you can just imagine how easily it would be 
to destroy a little body. I don't want to get too vivid with this, but I think something that's important for people to remember is there's a very common lie that we're told by pro-life people or pro-death people, pro-abortion people, that they don't feel anything. And, and that's nonsense. It's been proven that that's nonsense. Of course they feel something. And it, it's just, um, it, it's just, you know, it, that, that's a thing that weighs heavy on my heart quite often is thinking of how, you know, that I participated in something that caused such terrific uh, pain to somebody. And yes, indeed, it goes through the tubing into this little jar. And then uh, you turn off the suction, which was the nurse job. Turn it on, turn it off. That's the nurse job. And then you take the, the jar into a, a back room, which could be like an Abby's story, the POC, which means the products of conception, or some mm. back room. And somebody, it should technically, the doctor should be the last one to look at it, but I don't know if that, most of these clinics do not go by even minimal uh, standards of care, but no, someone needs to look to see that all the parts are there, as awful as that sounds, because if anything's mm. left behind, it'll create an infection. So well, that's, that's, a, uh, that's where the suction abortion is. Now, you mentioned uh, the doctor that, that, put, that did uh, in the movie. You said he was uh, an abortion doctor at one time. Yes, his name is Dr. Anthony Levitino. And you can search YouTube. You can search on YouTube, and you can find he has made actual videos um, to help people understand what happens in an abortion. He's profoundly pro-life, has been for decades. And I was, boy, I I I, I was kind of excited to get to meet this person because I'd read about him, and I was just um, I just was glad to be able to shake his hand because. Anytime you've done something like that and leave it and then try to continue to go public, you, you're going to, you're going to need your armor on because it's going to hit you. And I'm sure it's hit mm. him quite a bit. But I just thought that was incredible that he, that he was willing to do that role. And he, he portrayed a kind of a nasty guy. He, uh, when in the, in the movie, Abby is trying to stop the blood and he grabs her and kind of like throws her aside and, and then he's sort of joking about uh, when he's aborting the baby. He says, "Beam me up, Scotty," and the blood, you know, the yep. baby is sucked out. It's almost yep. like uh, I wonder if that was his mindset at the time he was doing that. Well, I think that I think that um, I don't care who you are, unless you are a bona fide um, psychopath. I don't know how it cannot affect you in some way. And people come up with all sorts of of little mind games to help them to rationalize what they're doing. I mean, I, I just, yeah. you know, I, mine was that I was helping these college girls. So this was in Boulder, Colorado, where I worked. The clinic, mm -hmm. by the way, run by Warren Hearn, is still running to this day. He's 80 years old. Wow. Now, um, yeah, in the movie, the, the uh, Abby, she is a church-going person. And yep. uh, they make reference to the the abortion doctor that was murdered. Um, it was a well-known uh, case. And I think, uh, I'm trying to think of his name. He was a friend of Gosnell, too. And, yes. Uh, I think, wasn't he in a church when he was shot? Yes. He was. He was actually, I can't remember if he was one of them that handed out uh, programs or, or uh, 
whatever, but he was in the entryway apparently. And um and so that that guy, that's where he found him. His name was George Tiller. That's and George um, Tiller because yeah. In the movie, so, there's a scene where George uh, Tiller's uh, it becomes news, and then Abby's really concerned about the safety of her family, and uh, right. And it's just fascinating that uh, that whatever these churches are, there's, there's something wrong with these churches when people are members of these churches that are doing these things, and you know they're members in good standing. I mean, it's some some there's a disconnect here. What what aren't the pastors? <laughs> and I think a lot of the churches are just so afraid of offending people and you know, offering support. It's a great opportunity for ministry, you know, repentance. And, uh, and I know a lot of people have had abortions. And that's unfortunate. A lot of men and, uh, you know, have had their wives or girlfriends have abortions. But isn't that what a repentance and forgiveness is all about? Instead of well, saying, hey, we'll, yeah. just, we'll just be silent on the, we, we won't take a stand on it. You know, because they're afraid of offending somebody. And then, you know, and I think it makes matters worse because you get a lot of people in the church where they're not getting the, they're not getting the right message. And therefore, they might, gee, it must be okay. I mean, it's legal and it's safe. Now, I think we should talk a little bit about Planned Parenthood. Now, you worked, your clinic was a Planned Parenthood clinic? No, Warren Hearns is a free and independent clinic. Oh, um, okay. Abby Johnson worked for Planned Parenthood, and um, many of the friends I've met, the former workers, probably most, are from Planned Parenthood clinics. And in fact, I'm going to speak uh, briefly at a small uh, 40 days uh, type thing. Um, I'm sorry, I'm rambling a little bit, but mo Planned Parenthood is the one most people hear about, and they're by far the largest. And of course, they've managed to suck a great deal taxpayer money because they use the excuse that they're helping people with uh, their favorite one is, is breast exams to help help people mm -hmm. not get breast cancer. They, I'm sure they do treat STDs and they give birth control, but no, no Planned Parenthood clinic in the country is capable of doing a mammogram. That requires a very oh. expensive equipment. Um, I know because I had breast cancer in 2006, went through all that, and you, there's no possible way that they can diagnose breast cancer in a Planned Parenthood clinic. But so many people will hear that and say, "Well, poor women aren't going to aren't going to be able to get their breast exam." You know, it's all it's all it's, the, the lie's been going on for so so long. And so that's a total lie. That, that's a that's a total lie. They don't even do. You're saying they don't even do breast e exams. They might do be able to do a manual one. I mean, I'm a nurse. I could do a manual breast oh, exam sure. for some obvious, but you're certainly not going to be able to diagnose any sort of small tumors. I mean, that's impossible. You have to have mammograms for that. Oh, and and they um, it's 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 interesting too. I'm very familiar with the history of Planned Parenthood. Of course, Margaret Sanger, the founder, and she's still revered by many politicians and i have to say her impact in the black community i would say that she probably has had more negative impact in the black community than anyone alive because she launched something as you know called the negro project in 1938 yep. and in those days they weren't aborting at least legally they were uh, giving birth control and she considered certain groups of people uh, blacks mediterranean southern europeans mediterraneans uh hispanics to be inferior 
uh, and there are certain whites, you know, uh, white people that she considered people with uh, what she would consider low IQ. And uh, she was able to get many in the black community, pastors and doctors, to buy into it. And today, the black population is basically leveled off in about 13%. Yep. And every single black member of Congress uh, who's a Democrat supports Planned Parenthood like it is a holy, like it is a holy organization. And, of course, the former President Obama was a big supporter of Planned Parenthood. And it just amazes me. They're very quick to call somebody a racist and, you know, point the finger at people who are racist or what have because they don't buy into their agenda. Yet uh, they support an organization whose roots are racist. Is that, is that correct to say? It's, it's, it's an amazing thing to me. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's the, the classic, there's an elephant in the room and no one sees it. Planned Parenthoods choose low-income neighborhoods. They choose places where people of color may be more likely to live. And it's, it's incredible that they, that they are do, able to continue. And I don't know if to this day any of them think about it in a eugenicist way, but the bottom line is, that instead of helping someone, actually helping them carry a pregnancy and support a baby, their, their one solution is just go ahead and get rid of it so you can get back to your life. And, of course, no one ever really does. There are, most women have at least some level, if not severe, level of suffering following that loss. And in fact, I just found a very interesting article yesterday about the elderly population because of course, abortion became illegal in 73, but we all know people were having illegal ones, you know, probably for thousands of years. But they right. were talking about this elderly lady, this, this article on this one, who was 80 and was feeling so sad about the two babies she had aborted. And when her, she had somehow let her, her adult children know, and they were sad to know they'd lost siblings. And I thought to myself, wow, that's a population that I don't even think of that much. You know, as as because it's a it is something that most people do feel shame for and aren't going to sh share with people. And I know about the shame because I kept my work in the clinic private for so long because I can see the flicker in someone's eye when I tell them that's what I used to do. I mean, I'm a person that's kind of known. You know, you don't know me personally, but I'm the one that's rescuing kittens off the highway and helping mm. turtles not run over and that's the kind of person I've always been and when people hear that I did that they, just, they, they can hardly believe it but you know we have to remember too we're not doing anything all that different and you talked about the church's complicity than the Nazis did you know I've, I've read articles about how some churches were nearby train tracks where trains would come through with the Jewish people and people would start singing louder you know, and they would ignore it. At yeah, that that's time, right. the scream, the screams of the people could be heard. So our churches today are singing louder. Also, they're so afraid. Instead of reaching out and helping that person in your audience heal, they're just not going to say anything because they might insult someone. And I've seen statistics as high as at least thirty percent of people in any congregation will have had a first degree affiliation with abortion. They've either had it themselves, daughter has mother, whatever. And I don't doubt that number. I don't doubt it at all. 
it may even be a little higher, and it's you know it's hard to believe. Yeah. In the movie, oh, yeah. the movie I thought I thought the movie was very well done, and of course I'm sure the book was the books always tend to be better because it's hard to take a, a book uh, and then put it into a movie context like the Gosnell book, which I read, uh, portrayed Gosnell much more nasty, uh, vicious than he was in in the movie, as as good a job as it did, and of course that that it was a very complicated case that. In the movie, it didn't say much about it. His wife was mentioned that she wasn't even depicted, but she was the one that helped him on his Sunday morning abortions where they did late-term abortions. Um, can you explain the uh, the late-term abortions? You say it's a three-day procedure. Can you explain that procedure a little bit? Well, the ones that I was a part of uh, was a type where, and they, they don't, I don't think this is done this much now because they, they have a different procedure, but when I did it, they would have to do two days of increasing dilation of the cervix. And then on the last day, they would uh, insert a heavy gauge needle in the abdomen. The doctor would, and he'd withdraw amniotic fluid, a certain amount, and then instill a very hypertonic saline solution. Everybody's heard the term saline abortion. And Mm -hmm. that, um, of course, was horrendously destructive to the baby, to the placenta, and then I had the fun job of going in there because it would take several hours. We we put them in their own room where they could, you know, rest and, you know, wait for labor and all this. And, and I had to go in there and listen for heart tones before he would initiate finishing the procedure. And if there were still heart tones. And, you know, when I, when I think of my young me being that person who I just, I just don't know. You know, I, I don't, I don't know why I was still okay. Like I said, there was just this weird shouting voice in my head that told me I was helping this 15-year-old, 14. Quite often it was young girls who'd hidden a pregnancy, and they'd come from other states because it was difficult to find someone that would do an abortion that late. Wow. And, um, and so then he would, um, you know, she sometimes would, would deliver an intact baby, but many times uh, it was dismemberment. And... Mm. Um, so dismemberment is, is mainly, I don't, they don't instill, I don't believe they're using the installation procedure where there were probably risks of side effect with that, but they're, they're, um, they're doing dismemberment. And of course you're using sharp tools and you're using many times the doctors doing that, their motives, you know, are not pure. We already know that. And they probably aren't the top of their class from OBGYN and you hear about, Quite often, it didn't. It didn't literally happen in my clinic. But perforations of the uterus, just the other day, because apparently 911 calls are, are public, and mm-hmm. uh, Troy, Troy Newman's group keeps track of all those. And this young woman, very young, she was had to go by 911 to a hospital, and they ended up having to do a hysterectomy because he had damaged her Ooh. uterus that bad. And that's wow. that's not. Common, of course, the worst-case scenario, needless to say, is hemorrhaging to death. And that happened to a young kindergarten, kindergarten teacher. This was in Ohio, and I'm pretty sure it was Leroy Carhart. He goes to different states and does them. And, uh, yeah, and he did something and uh, uh, not only killed the baby but killed her as well. Oh, they made a movie, believe it or not, our friends at PBS made a movie um, called After Tiller in 2013 and you can find it um in different places to be honest with you i haven't even watched it yet i i'll 
buck up my courage one day and watch it. But who it's called after Killer because they were, you know, he was their friend. All these people, these all these late-term abortionists know each other. It's their mm. little small club. And Lauren Hearn is in this movie. Leroy Carhart, he's also notorious for his very late cases. And Susan Robinson. Now, there are others that do them also. They're not the only ones. But these these were in this this uh, documentary. And, of course, it won an award at Sundance, all that kind of thing. But, mm, wow. honestly, um, you know, we, we have to, I really think, um, we have to be willing to talk about it, not just with like-minded people, but with other people. We have to have people understand what's really happening. And when people are so worried because somebody maybe isn't getting into college because of their, they're not the right color or something, but nobody's caring if they wind up in a stainless steel pan, um, mm. we got our values skewed. Julie, we have one minute left. Um, Wick, uh, what would you recommend as far as people listening to this want to get more information, uh, get a copy of the movie or the book? Yeah, they, uh, most of the Walmarts have been carrying unplanned. You can obviously get it on Amazon. You can actually order it um, from Abby Johnson's group if you like. And uh, That's probably the best way because, yeah, I would say, what, yeah. what's your website? Uh, just, just go to unplannedmovie.com. And, uh, and you can also, I did extra copies, and I'm, I'm going to be giving them to people, um, you know, so that I can, so they don't have a reason to not watch it. And then follow up and right. ask. Do you have right, questions? Well, we talk about it. All right, excellent. We're, we're out of time. I want to thank you for being the guest today. And, folks, thank you for listening to Camp Constitution Radio. And until next week, may God richly bless you.